It's supposed to be a series on heaven, not crying. <laughs> wow. It's really a joy to be with you today. And um, Cheryl, my wife here, uh, she's able to be with you a little bit more often than I am because I have some responsibilities on Sunday most of the time. Uh, but she said, yeah, this is the first time our family's been able to gather together for worship. And so our youngest son, uh, Tanner, and his wife, Caitlin, and their little boy, William, are here also. And uh, William's in the nursery, so if they jet out of here in a moment, you'll know, you understand all these parents here in this church. <laughs> Newborns everywhere, from what I hear. Something in the water, I suppose. But uh, um, I'm very grateful to be here. It really is a joy. And um, to be able to step into this pulpit and... Uh, to teach God's Word is truly an honor. It's a privilege. And I, one of the things before we, we step into John chapter 14 that I would like to share with, with you, just on a pastoral note, but, but maybe even on a personal note, is that Kyle, as he prayed for me, um, you may look at a family and imagine they have it all together, but I want you to know that's not the case with us, okay? Um, we are a work in progress but it's a work in progress that began decades ago. So if you're here and you're a first-generation Christian or maybe you've just come to faith in Christ and you're imagining what your family could look like, there are families here that you can look at as examples and those will help to cast a vision for you on what things can look like. But it does take, it does take time and it comes with a lot of commitment. But it's a belief that what God has done in your life is to, to begin something in you that will impact generations. And I take that very seriously because, um, because what's happening in your life personally has a great effect upon literally generations. And so anything that could disrupt that um, is something for our hearts to break over. But when God's doing a new thing in your life and that's what he's doing, then just take it in, for, in the moment and realize that what he has begun in your life and in your family's life, it may be very different from the, re, the remaining aspect of your, immediate, of your family. When you look out there and you see your brothers and sisters, biological brothers and sisters, and you see that maybe they're looking at a different course of life and you've chosen this way to walk faithfully with Jesus and, and to do so, and that is to deal diligently train your children, know that, that there will come a day, even if you don't believe it now, there will come a day in which you will sit together and you will rejoice as a family in generations, many generations. Take your Bible and turn to John 14. I better get there because my son says, I only have three hours. And so I told him I could only have, I only have enough in me for 30 minutes, but we're, we're going to give it a shot. Last week, uh, Kyle preached on what happens when you die, and it was more or less a, a high-view look at the hope of heaven and the things that we wrestle with on the subject of when we die. And so you looked at the subject of death, which really at the core of it means a separation, a, a banishment, an exclusion from what God's ideal and perfect is for you. And then you looked at the subject of life after death, and then life after life after death with his which is really sort of a mouthful, isn't it? Life after life after death. Okay, what is this all about? And so what happens when we die? 
As a Christian, heaven is profoundly significant as we anticipate our blessed hope that is found in Christ Jesus. And as a pastor, I have found myself um, on many occasions, this is not necessarily a stat that you want to walk around with and tell people, but I, I have stood at the graveside of 351 people in the 27 years that I've served at First Baptist Church of Groves. I, I have spent months and months of my life sitting before the Lord and his word and deciding, Lord, what could I possibly say to these people at this time of grief? And what I concluded very early on was that there is very little, if anything, I can say. But God's word has a whole lot to say about it. And I find myself in scripture, and that's where we need to find ourselves when it comes to this subject of what happens when we die. We've come through a time of a pandemic that we're all familiar with, and I don't need to regurgitate all of that, but we've all been confronted with our own sense of mortality, a sense of what might happen. And because the vast majority of you are, are young adults with young families, it's forced you to contemplate, which is really not an, a, a bad thing when you think of it, to consider the end of your life, to consider numbering your days. The psalmist talks about that. And about six years ago, I had a very distinct encounter, and I thought, okay, this could be it. Thankfully for my wife getting me into the emergency room, the Lord spared my life. But when you, when you come to that place and you think about what would it be like if life as I know it would come to an end? What happens in that moment? And so I've thought about this a great deal. It doesn't mean that I'm an expert on it, but I have thought about it. In fact, it, in many ways, in the earliest days, it made me very nervous to think about it. Why are you talking about death? Why are we talking about death? I shared with one of you before the service began that before I ever became a pastor, I had only attended two funerals in my life, and they were very, the two of them were very traumatic. I can remember them from my childhood, very traumatic experiences. And so to walk in to be a pastor and to, to be able to offer encouraging words in that first ministry when, when a family asked me, can you do the service? And, and uh, I was new as a pastor, and, and actually they said, we, we want to invite the former pastor to come back. It was my, would have been my first service, and I thought, I am so grateful that they asked the former pastor to come back because I thought, what am I going to say in this moment? And I stood by his side for that service, and I realized that it's best that we say very little but that there is a presence, and when we do speak, that we speak truth from God's word. Heaven is a reality, and it's not only a reality that we believe in, that casts um, a future for and confidence to our expectation, but it, it, it communicates to us this grand blessing that God has for us, that it speaks ultimately of this presence that God has established for us. There are many images of heaven that we can look at in Scripture in Hebrews, we find the image of, of rest, a, a city, a country, a wedding feast. A, heaven is a paradise. It's a banquet. It's a wedding feast. It's a reconstructed world in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's a, it's a marriage described of. And then it's described in John 14 as, as a home. Heaven is a kingdom. It's, a, it's an eternal place. It's a new creation. It's a new ordering of this present evil world that we live in that will be brought into 
the lordship of Jesus Christ, the new cosmos, a new Jerusalem, a new Eden, and the list goes on. Heaven is a place, it's a location, it involves a person whose name is Jesus. It provides all things necessary for life and for purpose here, now, and in our future. Heaven brings with it an expanded definition uh, to our lives relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, to the way that we're going to live our lives and the way that we do live our lives as well as a significant number of subtractions. Yes, I'm grateful to say, and I'm here to announce to you based upon God's word that there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more death, there will be no more tears, there will be no more crying, there will be no more pain, and the former things will have passed away, the scripture says. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, looking into the disciples' eyes, who had many questions in their three years, having spent this time with with their Lord. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Some translations use the word mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I, I would have told you this. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you and take you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have, you have seen him. Heaven is a real place. Jesus looked into the eyes of his confused followers, and he knew this. This is why in the prior chapter, he had bowed down before him, them, and he had washed their, their feet, and he had humbled themselves. He literally died before their very eyes, and he was telling them that he was going to leave, but they were just not comprehending this. This was not at all what they thought. A kingdom which they thought would have been, would have been ushered in was not happening. It wasn't materializing like they thought it was supposed to, to, to take place, and yet Jesus imports the future into their present. He wants them to know something about what's going to happen so that they might have this confident expectation in in their lives as they lived out the remainder of their lives. And so Jesus facing the cross in the next 24 hours that would would include him being falsely accused, being denied by one of his closest disciples, Peter, he knows this. He knows, John tells us in chapter 12, he is troubled He is troubled in heart. In John 13, he's troubled in spirit. Jesus is troubled. And yet he has to leave all of his troubles for the moment to comfort the troubled hearts of his disciples. The trouble. The trouble that he knew that they were in, that they faced. These disciples were on the brink of emotional and catastrophic failure, as D.A. Carson puts it. I can't think of anything more despairing than a sense of hopelessness, this sense in which everything you believed is now being, it's, it's, it's being shaken to the very core of what you thought. What you thought was real, what you thought was, was going to happen no longer is taking place on that level. And yet Jesus brings the future into their present. And heaven has that way of doing that for us, to, to bring 
the future into our present to help us to live on a whole different understanding. And in this darkest hour of his disciples' lives and possibly in the darkest hour of your life right now, regardless of how you've arrived at this place, regardless of how they had arrived at that place, there's this message from heaven's king. And that is there is a trust that you can count on. He says, trust in my presence, rest in my promise, follow in my path. Let not your hearts be troubled. Troubled, distressed, shook up. Things are not at all what I imagined them to be. It's, their sense of confusion sets in in the haze of, of the troubled life. And, and so he's wanting them, to, under, he's wanting them to, to be settled. And he's wanting to settle them in their distressed con- condition. Trouble. Trouble is a problem. Trouble, trouble is a band. Trouble is a... It's a, it's a game, it's a comic, it's a TV channel, it's a character, it's even a dog who inherited $12 million. Can you believe that from Leona Helmsley? Trouble. Everybody's got trouble. Trouble, Ray LaMontagne says this, trouble's been dogging my soul ever since the day I was born. There's this trouble sense, and we know it, and we understand it, we realize it in the lives that we live, and yet Jesus is telling his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. The first life point I want you to walk away with is believe this. Believe the words of Jesus. Let hope settle your troubled heart. A troubled heart is settled by a certain future. This is what heaven does. Heaven helps to plant our future to to create such a certainty about it that we can live it as though it is a present reality in our lives. And so Jesus says in verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. Heaven... Heaven is our real home. He, he talks about a real place. And I know that this is um, not always believed that heaven is a place, but I'm here to tell you what Jesus said. And he said, in my Father's house, there are, there are many rooms. Look how personal Jesus makes it. In my, in my Father's house, he says, it's, it's personal, personal to those who are on the edge of emotional failure. He draws their attention to the tenderness and the relationship between he and the Father. He wants them to know that heaven has this relational dimension that he is modeling before them, a relationship that he's had with them for three years, but he wants them to understand that he's had with his Father forever. Heaven is a real home, and it's with his Father. It's a place of nurture. It's a place of provision. It's a place of, in which he's personal and present in our lives. Heaven is a, is a, is a real place. And so he talks about the, the fatherhood of God, something that sometimes uh, we struggle with because of how we were raised, this concept of God as a father. And yet this is exactly what he describes as uh, the, the heavenly father. He's, he's my father. He, he's, he's made this place. He's created this place for us. And so the fatherhood of God is While it may not be applicable to all people, certainly it is applicable for everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe on him, you are a son, you are a daughter uh, of the Most High King. That's who you are. And you need to recognize that and to walk in that. So heaven is, is it's about family, it's about relationship, it's it's about the Father's presence, it's about the presence of the Son. Look how personal Jesus makes it. It, It's my father's house. Look how desirable he makes it. It's a house. 
This is the image that we have here. Yes, heaven can be compared to a kingdom, and we see that in the New Testament, compared to a city, a banquet, a wedding, and so forth. And the beautiful metaphors and images that we find to help cast a vision for our future home, for this life after life after death. This place that we have that's in store, that's created for us, heaven A home created for us. Created originally, what? In the garden. Created for us. And yet destroyed in the fall. Recovered at the cross. And and remodeled in a new world that is coming quickly to us. A world that he has prepared for us. This beautiful metaphor of heaven. Why, Why is it compared to a home? Because in the most ideal terms, heaven is a place with a set of relationships. That's what your home looks like. It has a set of relationships. When you go home this afternoon, you're going you're gonna to go to a place where you can hopefully be yourself, where you can be accepted and, and loved. And, and when you walk through the doors, you're not going to be treated like someone who like, why are you here? <laughs> you're going to be treated like a family member, not as a guest. You're going to go home because it's where you belong. That's why you're going to go home. It's where you belong. Home is where you belong. If you know Jesus, he's opened the door for you. So what's this big deal about a home? For most of us, we think, well, okay, I'm going to go back to my nice home. At my low interest rate. You know? But do you know how many people today don't even have a home to go to? So that may not mean that much to you, but for someone, the 3.5 million people who are homeless today, of which 38% of them are children, they don't have a home to go to. For the number of people who have been trying to purchase a home, but they can't qualify for a home based upon the color of their skin or because of where they live or because of one thing or another, a home means a whole lot more than what we often imagine it to be. A home is a great place. It's a good place. This home that he has prepared for us, there's a lot of good news for us in this idea of heaven being a home. And so there's a home waiting for all who believe in Jesus. That's the second life point. I'm calling these life points because in the gospel of John, Jesus is referred to as the light and the life. And over and over and over, we see this repetitive theme that Jesus is the life. He's the, he's the light of, uh, he's the light. And so this life point that we have is there for us to understand something of the heart of Jesus. Heaven is fully furnished. It has many rooms. There's, there's plenty of rooms, spacious yet intimate, right? A, a kingdom, a, a city, a world we inherit, but a home. Many of you probably, when you were teenagers, you used to sing that audio adrenaline song, the, it's a big, big house. Remember that? You'd go to camp, some of you. Yeah, there's lots and lots of room. <laughs> yeah, you know that one, right? You need to get this picture of your mind, this picture in your mind of, of home, of heaven, this beautiful place. I mean, the landscape. You know, there's not going to be a problem with watering your yard there in heaven. You know that, right? Yeah, there's not going to be like every other day watering your yard. Now, we're in Southeast Texas. Everything's green all the time. We don't have a problem. We just water anytime we want to water. We just water so we can see water. That's it. <laughs> but I mean, here in, in North Texas, you got to ration it out, right? Beautiful landscapes. It's grand place that he has prepared for us, something to look forward to. There's, there are many rooms, he says. That's the idea here, this word that is translated here. There, there are many. There are great rooms for us that he has prepared for us, for every one of us who believe. 
upon his son. There is living beyond the ordinary. You might want to call it extraordinary. These, these rooms are, are beautiful places that he has designed for us. Some of you men, I know you hate it when, you, when your wives, you say, hey, I want you to watch this program on HGTV. You know what that means, right? That means that you're expected to come away with a project and that you can complete in 30 minutes to an hour, you know? I mean, you just to landscape your house, you know it's not that easy, right? Or redesign a room or whatever the case might be. I mean, the Lord has prepared for us a place with many different rooms in it. The King James says the word, uses the word mansions, but some of your translations and the ESV uses the word rooms or dwelling places for us. They are abiding places, residences for us to enjoy and to experience. This is much, very much akin to the first century world in which families, when, 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 when a son or daughter was married, that they would just simply add to the, to the rooms in their home. This is very much a first century thing and also a cultural thing. While many of us don't see this, there are many cultures today, that's exactly what happens is that when someone's married, they just add another room to the house. It's just another addition to it, right? It's a part of the family concept that we've lost so oftentimes is that we have been brought into this family relationship and it is a family relationship in which there's plenty of room for all of us who are in the family. I love what Randy Alcourt says when he talks about heaven, and I know that y'all are using this as one of your reference books, and so um, resource books. It's a great book, probably one of the best books on, on heaven that I've read, certainly, but he talks about our true home in heaven. He says, our true home in heaven will have all the good things about our earthly homes, multiplied many times, but none of the bad. It's good. So imagine what that place is going to be like for you. Imagine what that's going to look like, a place of relationship where we get to enjoy the most of what we enjoyed here, but on a whole different level. Extraordinary, certainly. Revelation 21, verse 16 says this, the city is laid out as a square and, is, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles, and its length and width and height are equal. If you were to put the, the pen to this, in, in literal terms, if that's what it's talking about, 2 million square miles, I think there's going to be enough room for all of us. I think it's going to be. And God will make the reservation for us, right? It's a real place with reserved accommodations that will be given to those whom he receives and have reservations. And so the question is this. Do you have reservations? Not that you are... Ah, reluctant about heaven. But are you say, have you made your reservation? You plan for every important thing in your life. Why not plan for what's going to happen next? You plan for everything. I mean, you're meticulous about those things. And some of you, I mean, you're just to the nth degree. So why not make the reservation necessary? This is high society living at its best. Heaven is our promised place. He said, I told you so. If it were not so, he said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. I would have said this. You see, the, the heart of Christianity is at stake. Did Jesus tell the truth? Is this some kind of pious platitude? Is this just something that you say to people to make them feel better psychologically in the moment? Or was he telling the truth about it? If heaven isn't real, if heaven isn't real... I'm all for closing up my Bible, walking out of here and saying, I could be doing something else. I'm counting on it. I'm staking my life on it. 
I'm staking my faith on what Jesus said and what Jesus said at every single point. Now, either Jesus is telling the truth or he is a fraud. And I choose to believe, based on many evidences, that Jesus is telling us the truth. Because if he's not, he's holding out an expectation for people who, for instance, who have no home, basically on this earth, and he's holding out an expectation for them that one day you're going to enter into my presence. One day I have this thing prepared for you, this home prepared for you. You never enjoyed it on earth. But I've got something for you in heaven, and it's a home. It's a home like you've never known before. If he's not telling the truth about that, what a sad indictment. I mean, this is religious abuse, isn't it? What a fraud. I mean, just to make someone feel better in the moment. But no, he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. I, we, we believe this. This is where our confidence is, is built upon the, the, the words of, of Jesus. It would be cruel and misleading if he were to say, if he were to mean something else. And so heaven, heaven is our promised place. It's, it's, it's what he said. And I'm counting on it. And I know that we're accustomed to people not always telling us the truth. In fact, based upon the research at the University of California, Santa Barbara, Bella DiPaolo said this, that anytime we speak for more than 10 minutes, that 25% of the conversations we have longer than 10 minutes, it's likely that we've told a lie. Wow. Next time you're speaking with your spouse and you're sitting in your living room, you're talking about something, just imagine that. That means we've now been past, I've been speaking longer than 10 minutes. This is a, this is a real, okay, yes, but I'm, ba I'm basing it upon God's word, okay? You can test it there, right? Heaven is a promised place because Jesus said it was. That's why. That's why, that's why I believe it. And so the, this other life point I would give you is this. Believe it. Stand on it. Plan on being there. Plan on being there because it is a real place. Number four, heaven is a, it's a real place. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. It's real. It's real. That where I am, there you may be also. It's a place, a space to occupy. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's not, it, it's, it's not this place where you go to and you're floating around. Sort of this, you get this view, cartoon view of heaven, right? Where you're floating around on a cloud and playing a harp and, you know, listening to music. And That's not heaven. That's not, I'm not saying there isn't going to be worship. There's certainly, heaven is about worship, the one true and living God. But floating around, playing an instrument that I never played on earth is probably not, that's not my idea of heaven. You can understand why some people with that concept, erroneous as it may be, somehow we've conveyed it, that they've gotten the idea, said, if that's what he heaven is like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to a place where I'm floating around doing that kind of thing. No, it is a place to occupy it is a place that he has prepared for us. Prepared, he says, ready, not half built. And, and the way that he states this, uh, the way that Jesus speaks of it, it's, it's a prepared place. In a technical sense, he's saying, it's in the aorist tense. He's saying that it's, it is done. It is as though it is complete. When I come back for you, it won't be like I'm going to throw you a hammer and some nails and say, okay, Joe, let's see what you can finish out here. You know, I've got it sort of halfway done, and I need for you to come in and do the finished work on it. 
No, it is a prepared place. So when Jesus comes back, we are going to a place that is fully prepared for us. He has determined that for us. And so it's, it's not an afterthought. It's a planned estate. And it's not one of these additions that is planned where, where every fourth house has the same floor plan. Okay? This is, this is much more creative than that. It, it is a real place. It is a space for us to occupy and not just for us to sit. And when we occupy, in the biblical, most biblical sense of that, it means that we are there to be and to do what God ultimately created in us to be and do when life first began here on this earth called the Garden of Eden. He's coming to restore. He's coming to restore a place that ultimately we are the ones who broke up. He said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to receive you unto myself. Now, in Jewish cultural terms, you understand there, there's, there's the, the Jewish mindset would have understood this because when, when, when a man was proposing, when, when there was a time of betrothal, there was a time of engagement, he would go and he would make the commitment and, and, and they would make the commitment together as a, com- uh, as a couple, but he would leave for an unspecified period of time this time of betrothal. It was though they were married, they were committed to one another, but he would leave. He would leave, he would go and prepare all things necessary for their future. And at just the right time, his own father would say, son, you may now go and get your bride. And against the Jewish background and understanding of weddings, the bridegroom would leave and he would come back to get his bride to be. Now, she didn't know when he was gonna come back. She didn't know that, but she had to be prepared. But when he came back, he came back with all things prepared for their future. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, all things, when I come back one day, it's all going to be taken care of. Now, when, when, you're, when he's speaking to these disciples of his, you understand they don't know what's going to happen next. Jesus is about to be crucified. They're going to deny him. They're going to run for the hills. They're going to reject Uh, Jesus at least temporarily and so they don't know what's next but Jesus says to them I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself so we'll be there on location we won't be floating around Uh, we will be there with him heaven is a real destination he says I I will come again I I will come again I'm going to receive you to my I'm going to take you to myself. This is something you can, you can count on. When Jesus comes again, there will be a great marriage celebration. He's coming back for a church, a bride. Revelation 19 talks about this. It talks about the time of his coming. He, he's coming to take us, to receive us, and to receive us to this place that he has prepared for us. He says, where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is where ultimately, if you really want to know the essence of it, Heaven is where Jesus is. The old Baptist hymn that, that many grew up singing, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross, my Savior made me whole. The, the idea was that Jesus came. Heaven had come down. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The kingdom of God. How are we taught to pray? Earlier in chapter 6, Jesus says this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven 
Heaven is this real place. Heaven is this place where Jesus is. Where Jesus is, you can say you are in heaven. If you've come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've trusted in him as your Savior, then you know that there is a part of heaven now residing deeply within you because there's been a deposit made in your life. Heaven is real. Jesus makes it real. Jesus is the central person of heaven. A son asked his dying father, how do you feel? He said, son, I feel like a little kid on Christmas Eve. You know, the reality is, is that there ought to be an expectation in every one of our hearts that we believe that, you know something, something big, something exciting, something real is going to take place. We are going to see Jesus face to face. It's going to happen. I'm getting excited. And the longer I'm here, the realize the closer I get to heaven. Heaven is real. Hell is the absence absence of the presence of God, but heaven is all about the presence of Jesus. It's where Jesus meets us. The central reality about heaven is that Jesus is there. There's really no concept about heaven, really apart from the idea that Jesus is present. It wouldn't be heaven if Jesus wasn't there, right? It would, it would be some other place, and that's the other place, certainly, that we would not want to be. We would not want to be apart from him. We want to be with him. Family is when We are with the ones that we love. And so there's no conception of heaven apart from Jesus. Heaven is a a real place. It's a a reserved place. It's a received place that he has made for every one of us who believes. And yet in all of this, Thomas says to him, you know, Lord, we don't know where you're going. They they, they hear what Jesus is saying, but but they just don't. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the, the way? Where are you going? I thought it was about here. I thought something else was going to happen. So what, is, what are you saying? What are you saying? And Jesus says this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me, through me. John over and over speaks of this idea of life throughout his gospel writing. In fact, uniquely and, and over and over, he speaks of eternal life, and he speaks of it clearly. When Jesus shares these words in John 17, Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. You want a definition of eternal life? Here it is from Jesus' words, from his mouth. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, it doesn't begin sometime in the future. It begins at the moment you believe and confess Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you do, You have this promise of heaven, this confident expectation that when you die, you're going to go to the place that you've always believed. Your future reality in heaven is what informs your present serving of the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. It is a beautiful place. It's a wonderful place. Jesus said, I am am the way. Heaven. What is it? It's the place you never want to leave. It's the person you never want to reject. It's the presence you never want to lose. It's the present reality of a future certainty. That is what hope is in the Christian sense 
of the word hope. When we say we hope and have hope, we have a living hope that Peter talks about. When we say that, what we're saying is, is that we have such a certainty about the future reality of heaven that it informs our present way of living. It is so certain to occur, and in the Hebrew mindset, when something was so certain to occur in the future, they spoke of it as a present reality. Heaven is so certain to occur that we can live as though it is already occurring. And in fact, you know it is, right? Because if it were not, where would your loved ones be? Where would the people we love that believed in Jesus in this life, where would they be? They're in heaven with Jesus right now. That's where they are. And so you say, heaven, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. Some say, well, I never want this to end. I, I, I never want this whole matter of heaven. Just contemplating it. Heaven, it's real, and it begins now for all those who are willing to confess Jesus. He said he was the way. The straightest way to walk is, is in Jesus. The, the sovereign truth to embrace is Jesus. The, the supreme life to live, the ultimate way of living in this world is to live for Jesus. And that's why he said in John chapter 10, I've come that you might have life, and you might have it abundantly. So that the quality of your living today is informed by your future expectation that heaven is so real and it exists even as I speak of it now that I can live as though it's a present reality in my life. You say, well, that's not what it looks like in my home. That's not what it looks like even in my own, my own heart. You may feel like, I do not feel like heaven today. I do not feel like any of this is going on where I live. But it can. It can if you will believe and confess the Lord Jesus Christ today. You know, some of you are going to walk back into your homes this afternoon and, and things are not exactly what they need to be like. You know that. And yet, if you will, if you will drive down a stake in your home and say, listen, in this home, we're going to bring the presence of heaven to bear upon how we live. It will change the course of your marriage. It will change, it will change the course of your children's lives. It will change you. You want to be home. And you want to be at peace. You do. Some of you, you travel quite a bit. And there's a certain novelty about traveling. And I'll end with this. There's a certain novelty about traveling. I mean, you get on a plane, you fly across the country, and, you know, you go to some seminar, or maybe you're the speaker there, or you're, you know, doing some informative speech, or whatever it is you're doing. And the first 24 hours is great, but you realize after a couple of days, you have to be there all week. You realize after a couple of days, it's like, well, you know, a couple of days, that's great. We got to eat out some new places and, you know, met some new people and all. But, you know, you've got your, you've got your family back at home, and you realize, man, I want to go home. I want to go home. I don't know anybody. There, you're not really all together there. If you, you get in that hotel, and you're like, man, I love to live out of my suitcase in a hotel. That's not home. You know, that's just a place that you're at in that moment. But you want to get back home. You can. Heaven is home. You just got to know where home's at. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you that you have made a preparation for us that is so real that we can count on, that we can trust, that is something that we can place our confidence in because you have spoken it so. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your provision, for how advanced you are, how thoughtful, how, or how gracious and good you are to, toward us. We thank you that you've made those preparations, and I pray, Lord, for anyone here today that they're not certain about where their home is. I pray that they would drive down that decision today, that they would stake down that decision, they would make that choice today, and that they would call upon you because heaven has plenty of rooms for all those who are willing to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can stand with us.